This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. Thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. You can follow Planet Microcap on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. And you're listening to episode 202. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to tweet at me or shoot me an email at rcraft at snnwire.com. And when you do get a chance, if you like what you hear, please rate and review Planet Microcap on iTunes. It really helps provide feedback for me and spread the microcap message. Today's episode is sponsored by Quarter, whose mission is to change the way people look at investor relations and create a completely new bridge between companies and stakeholders. Visit your app store of choice to try it out. And that's Quarter, Q-U-A-R-T-R. We just were pretty much at the tail end here of earnings season. So, uh, you know, go check it out, download the app and uh, take a listen to a few calls. We are now two weeks away from the SNN Network Canada virtual event happening December 7th through 9, 2021. Please go to canada.snn.network to see the list of issuers that will be joining us. Paul Andriella on behalf of Small Cap Discoveries and myself from SNN Network are teaming up to highlight our neighbors to the north, Canada. Paul and his team have been finding value accretive opportunities across the TSX, TSX Ventures, CSE, and now the NEO for a long time. And we wanted to host an event that encapsulates all of those opportunities. So you can expect three days of keynotes, educational panels, company presentations, and one-on-one meetings. To register, please go to canada.snn.network and click the register button. I look forward to seeing you all there. For episode 202 of the Planet Microcap podcast, I spoke with Robert Mulcahy, better known as at Tiny Stock Ninja on Twitter. I've been following Robert for a while now, and he's a fellow microcapper in the trenches. Uh, while he is well on his way to becoming a full-time private investor, Robert has a number of investing stories under his belt already. Companies can screen well all the live long day, but all too often, especially with microcap stocks, it comes down to qualitative due diligence. And we chat about a few of those uh, qualitative tales from the crypt. So thank you again for tuning into episode 202 of the Planet Microcap podcast. And please enjoy my conversation with Robert Mulcahy. Everybody to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. You can follow me on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. And joining me today uh, from his tech support hub, uh, <laughs> not actually sure where, but uh, it, it, this is somebody who I've been following for a long time now, a fellow microcapper in the trenches. We're going to, this is a classic, getting into it, hearing his, his strategy, looking at microcaps. And he's got one of the best Twitter names in that regard. So uh, joining me right now is Robert Mulcahy. He goes by the, the the pseudonym, I guess the account name, at Tiny Stock Ninja on Twitter. Robert, 
Thanks for joining me today. How you doing, man? Thanks, Bobby. I'm happy to be here. And I am in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan, by the way. Ah, okay. Is it started like the crazy snow yet? Is, is that, that's what happens there? I'm in LA. I don't know these things. <laughs> it, it snowed on Sunday, but it's all gone now. Oh, it's it, it, oh. It'll be coming for sure. But it comes back, right? It's, it's like... Yeah, until it April. <laughs> <laughs> until <Yeah>. April. <laughs> How'd you land in Ann Arbor? Is that where you're uh, from originally? No, I'm from Austin, actually, originally. Um, okay. And my wife is doing her PhD here, so she dragged me up here. Nice. What's so, she getting her PhD in? Uh, molecular and biochemical nutrition. Can so you call her? Can you call her? Yeah, right. Well, you no. Know, so here's the, here's way the, more interesting. No offense. <laughs> I'm just saying. No, Bobby. This is the thing: is when we started dating, she was this cute blonde girl studying nutrition, right? You know, going mm. over macro and micronutrients with tests, and then she went to her master's, and it turned into epigenetics, and I could kind of follow. And now I just have absolutely no idea what's going on anymore. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome! Well, I wish you the best of luck because that just sounds so difficult. Uh, I, I was just, I was joking with my wife the other day. I was like, when it came to science, like AP bio or chem, like that was, that was a total other language to me. Math I could get, but, but that, right. no, I just couldn't, couldn't do it. But uh, very cool. Well, look again, thanks for joining on. You've, you've listened to the pod a number, a number of times. This is actually our first time meeting together. So, you know, uh, I'd love to learn a little bit more about where your passion for investing began. So uh, take us on the tiny, uh, tiny stock ninja journey. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a pretty non-traditional background. I went to a local college in Texas and I studied history and political science. And I, while in undergrad, I had two accidental encounters with business. So the first one was my father uh, was a private practice pediatrician and there were just a ton of really bad headwinds going on there. I mean, the market was super oversaturated. Reimbursement rates were really bad. So I spent a few years with him, you know, every single month, just figuring out how to keep his business running for another month. And that was, you know, a headfirst education into business. And then also at the same time, I uh, have always been really into fitness. And while I was in undergrad studying history, I got certified as a personal trainer and I worked at a place on campus training faculty and staff. And one day I went and asked for a raise like any good businessman would, and I was denied. So I told all my clients about it and a lot of them said, hey, we're a lot more loyal to you than to this business. We'd rather be with you. So next thing I knew, I was uh, filing a DBA, <laughs> getting a sole proprietorship, which is a terrible idea in fitness. Don't do that, by the way. Not advice. Hire an attorney. But, And then I was negotiating a, a partnership with the local community fitness center and I had started my own business. So here I am in, you know, in undergrad studying history and then I'm also helping my dad run his business and I'm running my own fitness business. And my, my real edge with that was education because um, I had no idea what I was doing with anything at all. So I was constantly just soaking up everything I could from, you know, podcasts and books with business. And I was one of those people. And I, I'm sure a lot of people can kind of relate to this, especially if they're listening. When I discovered the concept of compound interest, my brain just like clicked immediately. There was just, I mean, why would you spend your time doing anything else? You know, if you can turn 50 cents into a dollar and you just repeat, it just it made so much sense. Um, so after I left undergrad, I went to graduate school for, for government and I kind of went there knowing that person in me was long gone. I had no interest in it, but it was really great because it was two years for me to just spend in the library, just soaking up more business. And as I kept doing that, I, uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of people can relate. I found myself gradually sliding down the market cap scale into micro caps. 
as I was running screens and stuff and finding companies trading at, you know, a PE of five or something. And you look at it and you kind of figure out, well, what's really wrong with this? And you kind of learn it's nothing. And then, of course, in hindsight, you learn it's, you know, a $20 million market cap company, right? So that's, that's kind of how I, you know, I found my way into it accidentally. Very cool. What a, what a great, uh, I, I love, I love the non-traditional route to getting to micro camps. It's just the best. I mean, wait, so take me to when you're in those two years in the library. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, I mean, well, firstly, what were grad school for government? What are you trying to be a politician or what was the, what was the end game? Well, so that's the thing is, is I had already applied while I was in undergrad and you know, running these businesses and I was given free grad school. And I, at the time, oh. at the time of graduate, and I, I went to Ohio State actually, which is funny because I live in Ann Arbor. But that's that's a whole other conversation <laughs> we can have on Twitter. Um, but at at that time, um, I, I I you know was going to go there for government, and I kind of went went in realizing I had no real interest in it. But I had two years of deferred time <laughs> to to work with. So I mean, I did go to class, you know, and I graduated and everything. But I I spent two years, you know, soaking up barons and trying to you know get my co- my hands on a copy of Margin of Safety and you know, it was, it was a good time. Yo, why didn't you try and challenge uh, Jamie Catherwood to having your own, you know, financial history course? I mean, here you go. Oh. History, undergrad, government, uh, you know, grad <laughs> school. I mean, come on, man. I we just need, don't think need, I'm that interesting. <laughs> we, we need, we need a microcap amnesia, amnesia. You know, that's what I think we should, uh, that's what yeah. we should work on next. But uh, very cool. All right. So you, like everybody, most people who have the non-traditional background, you kind of fall you know, ask backwards into microcaps because it makes the most sense in many right. respects. You know, so when you first start in looking at microcaps, you know, you finish grad school, you know, what's, what are you doing? I mean, are you, are you just starting to invest in your own PA? Do you have a full-time job on the side? Like what, what's going on during that time? Yeah. So I, I do have a, you know, a PA, of course, um, you know, why else would I be here? <laughs> but I do have a full-time day job that I, so I, I actually kind of view it and, you know, meeting Maj really helped, you know, professionalize this, this approach of, I listened to something he said where, you know, he said he viewed investing as his full-time job and then his day job is just something he does. And that's exactly how I treat it. I view it as having two full-time jobs. So I do work in management and local government actually during the day. Uh, but I, I do consider investing my full-time day job. So I wake up at 5 a.m. every morning to spend a couple hours investing and then lunch and, you know, the evenings. So. Uh, I, I definitely kind of view it like that. Very cool. All right. So let, let's dig into your, your core microcap philosophy, right? So like I said, fell into this after doing all this research and work, you know, for you at this point in your life, you know, what would you say is your, your microcap investing philosophy? What do you look for? What's interesting to you? Let, let's hear it. I am a very concentrated investor. It probably scares some people off talking about it, but I, I like to have, you know, three or four core holdings and, you know, 20, maybe 30, sometimes 40% at cost, and I will let them run. And the whole reason behind that is I'm trying to build capital to get to be a full-time investor right now. So I'm looking to be a full-time investor in the next two or three years. And I'm, I want to be really public about that because I think it'll hold me accountable to it, right? Um, so it, I... I'm doing that intentionally. And uh, I think Trey Henninger was on the show recently and he, he broke this down much better than I can. So listen to that episode. <laughs> but the part of the reason too, is I spend a lot of time getting to know these companies because I want to talk to management. I want to know what drives them. I want to know how dedicated they are. And I really want to know every single thing going on in the company. And right now with a, a day job, it sometimes it's really hard to do. So 
when I do transition into being a full-time investor with no other full-time job, I'm probably looking to expand into the eight to 12 range of, of holdings, which is still, I mean, quite concentrated. And then the other thing I do, in addition to my, my core holdings that I'll let run and run and run, is I do have, and I don't know if this is just for my personality or just because sometimes there's just some interesting opportunities. I do have a little basket of special situations or one-off trades sometimes that I, I like to enter in and out of. And that can be a lot shorter, you know, three to six month time frame to play out. I'd like to take a quick second to tell you about this episode's sponsor, Quarter. With Quarter, you get frictionless access to conference calls, investor presentations, transcripts, and earnings reports from markets all around the world, straight from your pocket for no cost. Quarter's mission is to change the way people look at investor relations and create a completely new bridge between companies and stakeholders. The first step on this journey is to let you, the user, interact with the company's content while you're listening. Visit your app store of choice and try it out today by searching for Quarter. And that's Q-U-A-R-T-R. Now back to the show. Very good. All right. So what types of companies are you looking for? What kind of criteria? You know, what, what are things that interest you when you're doing it, when you're going into the discovery and due diligence process? Well, I, I am very interested in, I mean, this is going to be, you know, revolutionary stuff here, Bobby. I like profitable companies with a lot of insider what? ownership. I know, what? right? I know. So, I mean, Crazy. Th- that's the thing is it, it's a, it's a, common trope in microcap investing, but you can't avoid a lot of uh, unpleasantries in microcap if you're looking at profitable companies. And the other thing too, is I really like looking at high insider ownership companies. And then a lot of cases, insider ownership that is acquired through direct purchases, not through you know grants, right? So, and in terms of that, I'm also looking in the US only, and that is not a, you know, a, a rip on other geographies or anything. It's just, if I'm only looking for three or four core stocks, I'm not going to, I don't need to go look in other markets right now. I have plenty of opportunity here with, you know, the 10, 12,000 micro caps, right? Um, and I, I would also kind of piggyback off of that and say, if it's a Canadian company that's doing 80% of its revenue in the US and, you know, they have offices here, I would consider that to be more of a US company than a, than a Canadian company. So it's not, strictly, you know, geographical, but I'm definitely interested in just, you know, looking for really, you know, kind of boring, straightforward companies that are maybe illiquid, definitely misunderstood and have a lot of insider ownership because I've found that that's usually the best way to, uh, you know, have success is when you have people who are motivated by their own, their own, you know, incentive. So what I'm really hearing is that you love story stocks, right? (laughs) Story stocks sounds like you're bad for sure. (laughs) Oh yeah, man. (laughs) <laughs> all day so, right? <laughs> yeah you know love story stocks um no uh but so i mean like for example a stock that i've, I've talked about ad nauseum uh you know on, on twitter and then a lot of the work i've done with geo investing is crescendo which i do own the ticker cxdo and that's one that's really interesting i mean the ceo has 70 years in telecom he's actually been operating in telecom for a third of the time that phones have existed which uh, when I when I typed that up and, and my wife proofread it, she thought it was a typo. Um, but no, so a third of the time phones have existed. And the thing is, is this is one where, I mean, the insider ownership is around 60%. They're growing, you know, 20, 30% a year. And it's the exact same management team from back in the day when they ran a telecom business that they sold successfully. And they're doing the exact same playbook. 
So, I mean, that's, you know, a classic example. And I mean, full transparency, I mean, I think the stock's at about 520 right now today. I mean, my average cost is at six. So <laughs> I still think it's undervalued. I mean, it's, it's just sitting there doing nothing. But it is one that's profitable. And, and there's a lot of really interesting things I like in that. So, I mean, you have your high insider ownership. It's a profitable company. It's in the U.S. And then also there's a lot of little things in microcap, too, that you can pick up on that you just can't get where management team is. I don't want to say management is less polished, but, you know, they're not the, the Disney, you know, Harvard MBA management team coming in with the canned remarks. I mean, so it, for example, in Crescendo, sometimes they'll, they'll telegraph in their conference calls a lot of really interesting info arb. Um, where in the Q2 conference call, the CEO said, look, we're looking to grow 50% a year, have a non-gap profit and be gap break even. And then in Q3, they grew 113%, were gap break even and had a non-gap profit. So, I mean, there's just this, like, this edge in micro caps because no one's paying attention. And it's awesome. It's the best. I, that, that, that's why, I mean, yeah, that's why we're here. Of course. I mean, you know, well, okay. So we were talking offline a little bit about, you know, um, some qualitative stories that you've experienced mm -hmm. when, when doing your research on, on potential investments, or I think they might even be core positions. So, you know, love to hear some of your, your tales from the qualitative depths, <laughs> if I may. So yeah, uh, take, take yeah. It away. absolutely. So, and these are, I mean, I guess what I want to say is one thing I really try to bring in with my non-traditional background is, I, of course, I look at the numbers. I mean, I had to learn accounting. I had to learn finance. I had to learn how to you know, read statements and do you know, modeling evaluation. But something I'm really interested in is the qualitative aspect, because in a lot of cases with microcaps, the people running these companies make a big difference. I mean, if you have five friends who are addicted to Starbucks, they might not make a difference to you know, Starbucks sales. But if you have five friends who are getting hot on a trend with a microcap that actually can be a, you know, a predictor of success. So uh, one example is EDUC, Educational Development Corporation. Um, I don't own it anymore. I did. And there were, there was a, a little bit of a, you know, several factors coming together. And this was just a, like a smaller position, kind of like a trade. So around the time of COVID, I had noticed there was some clustered insider buying and it was, I mean, it wasn't just the CEO, it was the CFO, a director, like the chief marketing officer. So there was some clustered insider buying, which is always an interesting thing that, you know, investors should pay attention to. And I was over at my sister-in-law's house and I had noticed um, on her bookshelf that she had a bunch of books that were published by them because this is a, a book publishing company for kids. And it's also like a Tupperware sales model where they use, they do home parties with consultants and people will sell to their friends and stuff. And I had noticed that. And I asked my sister-in-law about it and she's like, oh yeah, a bunch of my friends have gotten really into this. And, you know, they started selling these books and it was during the height of the pandemic where a lot of, you know, stay at home parents had nothing else to do. So they start hosting all these parties and selling books at the same time, there's all this clustered insider buying. And at the same, I mean, I, I want to be totally transparent the stock was cheap. I mean, it had earnings per share. It actually pays a dividend, which is kind of weird for a micro cap. Um, I mean, so the financials looked good. And I had just noticed a lot of little strange qualitative trends where if there's a bunch of, you know, Michigan housewives getting into selling books, there, that might be a trend that's catching on. And I, I bought in around four or five bucks and it sold about 12, in, you know, just a period of a few months. So that was pretty interesting. Um, and that was something that, so, you know, kind of that like soft edge with due diligence, um, you know, just kind of talking to people more Peter Lynch style. 
It almost sounds lucky though, right? Like hundred percent. Like how often does that happen when like you go over to like a random friend's house, you're doing some random and it's spe- it, like, I find this happening all the time in microcaps where there's a product being used and you're like, Oh, I know that one. Like that's a, that's microcap. Like what? And, and then, and then you get into conversations like you had with your sister-in-law. You're like, Oh, was that, when did you start using that? It's like, Oh, this was, the, you know, it's fine. It, kind of interesting. We like this. So I find that happens all the time. And it's well, lucky and almost. I, I completely agree, Bobby. And that's the thing is investing is already hard enough that every once in a while, when you just get something served up to you on a platter, just take it, you know, just, just take it. Don't, don't overthink it. Um, and, you know, it was a small position and I, I sold it and it was fine. Now, in terms of more like serious due diligence, more serious qualitative due diligence, I like to do uh, Muscle Farm, MSLP. Is, is a company I've um, sure some people might've seen. I have some kind of negative tweets on. Um, I do not own the stock. So Muscle Farm is a company that is a really well-established brand in the fitness space. They make protein powders and other fitness supplements. I'm sure a lot of people have seen their protein at Costco. And they had a, a big scandal a long time ago, about 2014, where they were amino spiking their protein, which is uh, when you actually add extra nitrogen into the protein powder, because when you test for protein content, you're looking at how much nitrogen is in it and you can add nitrogen, which is really cheap. And then the protein, you know, instead of having 25 grams in a shake has nine. So they had a big scandal and they just have just tons and tons of litigation. So the old CEO's out, he's actually running a Canadian microcap plant-based protein company now. Um, and there's a new CEO in who's trying to turn the company around, clean up all the litigation and pivot into energy drinks. So, I have some contacts in the fitness industry from my days as a trainer and just, you know, I'm still pretty involved in it actually. And I know two, uh, two individuals who run supplement, um, retailers. So one is in Australia and it's a really large retailer and one's in the U S and it's an online retailer. And I asked both people about the new CEO, Ryan Drexler, and neither of them have ever even heard of this guy or talked to him, which that alone is kind of a, a, a pretty big yellow flag, if not a red flag in the fitness space, because a lot of the companies have really good relationships with their retailers. They'll work on an exclusive product line or an exclusive flavor with this retailer. So they don't know this guy at all. And that's kind of interesting uh, in this space. And it, yeah, that's kind of a red flag. And then the, my colleague in Australia told me that they completely stopped carrying their products because there's no demand for them absolutely none. So this company is trying to launch an energy drink line at the same time that the feedback I'm getting from the fitness community, the the people who are actually buying these products and then selling them is we have absolutely no interest in this. Um, And then I'm also a little skeptical of their plans in terms of how they're, they're kind of marketing their company. Now they're building out a gym and they're starting to sign up athletes and pay them and into, to NIL deals um, like college athletes. And first off, that's how Muscle Farm got in trouble in the first place. And then second off, that's about a seven or eight year old plan. I mean, fitness has evolved now where there's a lot of influencers doing, you know, targeted stuff with really niche brands and training. And Muscle Farm is kind of running an old playbook. So I'm pretty skeptical about that. And I mean, I think we kind of saw that Muscle Farm has not got it together because they reported a couple of days ago uh, they couldn't file their 10Q on time and they had a loss of 12 cents a share. So the stock's down from you know 70 or 80 cents to like 58 cents today. 
Well, listen, I mean, that's a great example of you using your experience being to, to I mean, we talked about this on uh, on pod that I did with Meredith Brill way back when about, you know, uh, being able to use your professional expertise to help you in your qualitative due diligence process. So they're exhibit, exhibit A right there, right? I mean, have you had, had, had any other examples where, you know, you use some of your background while that, that really helped you? When you're doing your qualitative DD, I mean, whether this was a company that you ended up taking a position in or not, like, have you had any other experiences like that? Yes, I have. So the company I wrote up for Microcap Club, um, I was just accepted into Microcap Club last month or this month, I guess. Congrats, um, dude. That's thank huge. you. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy. Um, and to anyone out there, just keep trying. It took me three times. So it's okay. You know, it's okay. You just got to keep trying. So uh, the company I wrote up for Microcap Club is a company that does document scanning for governments. And that's something I, I do have experience with for my day job. And it, it sounds, I mean, just horribly boring. But the thing is, what happens in, in governments is there's so many records. I mean, you know, like city council minutes or ordinances or zoning laws or deeds that have to be kept forever. And I mean, that's going back maybe a couple hundred years. And the thing is, is that all just piles up somewhere. So uh, I, I'm aware of the problem that you have to, to solve in terms of having documents digitally stored and scanned and able to be retrieved. And the company that I, I found and wrote up does that. And I was able to talk to the CFO and have a really good conversation about their strategy for how they're you know, doing a value pitch. Because the thing is, I know this, it working in government, the governments are not in a rush. They know it's a problem. <laughs> going to be a problem next year. It's going to be a problem the, you know, the year after that. So I talked to this company and they had a really good strategy in terms of, okay, well, let's just try to get into one single department first and then have the word of mouth spread because, well, HR has this and it's working out really great. So then it'll spread throughout the organization. So, and it, it was great because I was able to talk about it and kind of piggybacking off of that in terms of the, the qualitative due diligence again, I talked to the CFO of that company instead of, you know, the CEO or any, you know, IR person. And my, my uncle who was, he's actually, he was the CFO of a microcap bank, which if that sounds impressive to anyone, just run a screen, there's thousands of them. Um, but he was a, he was a good CFO. Um, and I actually asked him, you know, what questions would you want to ask a CFO versus a CEO or a COO? And he, he told me that any CFO is going to know their numbers. That's just a fact. But a good CFO is going to be able to tell you about the strategy and how the strategy is integrating into the numbers and separate themselves from what is high margin and low margin versus where the company is trying to go. So I was able to take all of that and walk away from it saying, wow, that was a really good CFO I just talked to. I feel like there should, with that in mind, it's almost like a preference to talk to the CFO versus the CEO. Most of the time, the CEOs usually don't. I mean, they the CFOs usually do are, are, are will talk to investors. I'm not saying they don't, but... I mean, that almost puts a premium on talking to a quality CFO versus a quality CEO in that sense. Oh, well, I would completely agree, especially because a lot of CEOs are just, they're great at sales. Yeah. And and I mean, that's no great. No problem with that. It, We're not poo-pooing it. They're, that's definitely a quality skill. But, you know, what you're talking about is a little different. Mm-hmm. 100%. So, I mean, that's the thing too. And then it, sometimes kind of playing off the, the qualitative lens here, I mean, there's a lot of ways to even just think about how you are approaching companies and stocks. So for the past year, I've only done phone calls and emails with, with management. And that's not even bad in itself because you can still get a lot of valuable information as an investor from doing that. 
So in terms of phone calls, I tried to call someone and, you know, I left a voicemail. They call me back two days later. I missed it. And they're, they're texting me to try to set something up. I mean, that's someone who wants to talk to an investor. In term, and and you're, you're able to ask a lot of good follow-up questions you might not be able to get in otherwise and kind of just piggyback off of that. In terms of emails, I mean, I'll send out, you know, a couple a day and just kind of let them float out there <laughs> and see, see what happens. But you can see who's responding and who's not. And then you can see what time they're responding. I mean, I had a company respond to me at 11.59 on a Saturday. I mean, that was great. The CEO is obviously engaged with shareholders. So there's a lot of valuable information you can still get, even if it's not the substance of what they're saying, just how they're acting and how they're running their company. Robert, come on, man. He was on vacation. All right. And in a place that he was eight hours ahead of you. So it was eight o'clock in the morning on a Thursday. All right. You know, so, you know, let's, let's be real about it. <laughs> but, but, you know, look, we were talking offline, you're a young guy, 29. I mean, you're a few years younger than me. I mean, and you already talking to management teams and this is something like I've covered on here a little bit, but I love hearing everybody's experience where, cause look before that first call, it's a little intimidating, right? Where you're like, I'm going to hit up the CEO of a, you know, they're busy people. They're, mm -hmm. they're running these, these organizations, however big or small, you know, I don't, I, I want to make sure that I'm not wasting their time. You know, what, 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 what was that first um, encouragement? I guess I'd say that got you to be like, all right, I want to do my, I, I'm in microcaps. I want to do my follow-up due diligence. I need to talk to management. Okay, here we go. Did, did uh, conversations with Maj or some other folks in the industry help you get to that point? Where you're like, all right, I, I'm going to go do this. 100%. Um, I mean, kind of hanging around Maj has been just very lucky. And uh, it's kind of, I mean, you know, you're like watching, I, I don't know, uh, you know, you're like watching LeBron or MJ, right? I mean, you know, Maj is, he's crazy, man. I mean, he works 30 hours a day. He loves investing. And it's like all he thinks about and he's great at it. And he's, and the thing is too, is he's the nicest guy. Um, like, you know, could not be nicer and more helpful to people. Um, so that's awesome. But the thing is, yeah, it, it was, you know, I'm trying to, you know, hanging out around people like Maj, I'm trying to up my game. And that's something they do without a second thought. So it's something, you know, it's, yeah, it's absolutely a little scary. It's a little intimidating, but you just got to do it. So there's a lot of ways to do it. You can find a lot of really good resources for just general questions to ask management. But what I would recommend is definitely learn about the company because management is a lot more willing to talk to you if you know the company and you can show that you put in some work. Um, they're 100% going to be a lot more responsive because at the end of the day, you have to realize these people are just talking about what they do for a living and everyone loves to talk about what they do for a living. Right. So show some interest. This is true. A hundred percent. true. You got any, uh, by the way, great shout outs to Maj. Maj, we love you, man. We want you to do more podcast episodes. This is producer Bobby calling you out. Let's go. We, we love him. But uh, yeah, no, Maj, Maj really gets after it and can totally co-sign that 30 hours a day. Like there isn't yeah. even 30 hours a day. It doesn't matter. Like he will find time because he loves it. So it's, he's, he's one of the best. But um, I love to let's get a little a couple story times. I mean, look, you know, you're a young guy reaching out to these management teams. I mean, you must have some funny stories and you don't name any of the companies or the names of the CEOs, but I'm sure you have a couple funny stories when they're, you know, like, wait, how old are you? What's going on here? Oh, man. OK, um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the company I, I wrote up for for Microcap Club. Um, so it, this is actually one that's kind of merging some of the stuff I just talked about. I actually tried calling the CEO directly. I found his number on the internet, right? Just tried to call in it. 
um, no response. And then I called again, called again. And then he ended up texting me. Um, and he's like, you know, trying to call, but your voicemail's full. And I'm like, oh man, my voicemail's full. It's from all the spam calls that you just block, right? You never even think about it. I'm like, great. Well, that's really helpful. So anyway, I ended up um, setting out a, uh, you know, a, a list of questions. And I finally, you know, I, I followed the process and emailed, you know, investors at this company.com, right? And, you know, finally got something set up with the CFO. That was really great that I talked to. Um, but I mean, it's just been, I mean, the thing is to be totally transparent, I think I'm the first investor they've ever talked to outside of a company they pay to do IR for them. So they were surprised that someone was even talking to them and they were thankful. Um, cause I was telling them like, Hey, you know, I'm, you know, I, I'm a contributor at geo investing. I'm trying to, you know, help uncover really good stocks that I think are undervalued and have, you know, a lot of tier one characteristics that are good. And they just, I guess the thing is they were surprised that anyone even showed any interest in them. Um, and I mean, so that was great. And I, I have a good relationship with the CFO and, you know, I just emailed him this week when they had their quarterly results. And I mean, he, he was thankful and grateful in terms of that. I've also made some big mistakes. Uh, I mean, so muscle farm, I emailed the CEO telling him, you know, how I basically think he should be running his business right now. Uh, you know, full transparency. We're telling him that it, it so one of the, the big problems with muscle farm is there's not a lot of public comps for, supplement industry. I mean, there's FitLife brands, but they have a very different range of products and a different value proposition. Uh, I'm not a shareholder of FitLife. Thank you. <laughs> so they have a very different range of products. And I, I emailed the CEO and I just it's like, hey, you might need to think about breaking out the different supplements here, like protein versus, you know, branch chain amino acids and pre-workouts and stuff, because they have really different margin profiles. So everyone just sees this and they see you know, just horrible, horrible margins because whey protein is really expensive. I mean, their gross margins in the past quarter were 0.2%. I mean, they were brutal, brutal gross margins. Um, of course, got nothing back from him. But I also, after that, I, I was like, you know, maybe I should tell him like, there's some spelling errors on his website. So <laughs> I, it, I, I don't think I'm ever going to hear from him. That's fine. So I've definitely taken some lumps, but you know, I've learned genuinely if you're trying to connect with management show an interest know their company and they're a lot more willing to talk about it right and i think there's the lesson there too is is not just knowing the company but also like show like all right if i'm going to do an initial reach out you know have some come come from an approach of like questions versus just like mm -hmm. all right here's what i would do you know because that ceo however old or young you are as an mm -hmm. investor however much experience they're gonna be like, yeah, okay, thanks for sure. I'm, you know, you're a genius. Bye. You know, which, which, like, hey, you might, and you might be right, <laughs> but at the end of the day, you have to think about that human nature side of things, where it's like, all right, nobody wants to be told what what to do, you know. But 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 if you come at them with some leading questions that kind of go towards your narrative, then you're like, okay, well, maybe I might be able to get somewhere and actually maybe even make an impact. I mean, was that probably the main lesson you learned from from that experience? One hundred percent, because. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, just 100% because that's the thing is you, you can't come in guns and blazing as Mr. Outside Investor Guy, you know, with all my opinions. I mean, if you really care that much, buy a bunch and try to get on the board, right? But it's never going to happen with Muscle Farm. So, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah. I mean, that, that, and actually, in fairness, that just more sounded like, uh, you know what? I need to vent. This was a venting email because it's making me upset that I could probably do this better than they can. So, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you save yourself some time there, you know, who knows?
<laughs> Maybe. <laughs> for, the, for those not watching the video, Robert just did one of those shoulder shrugs. Like, I don't know. Yeah, sure. So, <laughs> all right, go, going from there. I mean, once you've done qualitative due diligence, you have obviously you you got there from doing some quantitative metrics. Now you do your qualitative. You know, from there, what are the the key things that you're like, all right, I've done my qualitative. I'm gonna build, I'm gonna do a starter position and then kind of build into it. I mean, what what do you what do you do from there? So from there, I this is something that's it's always evolving, is I'm trying to gauge management's stories on conference calls and transcripts and then the MDNA of, of their, you know, Qs and Ks and see how it's evolving and if they're keeping track of that story, right? Because that's that's the real, you know, where you're really gonna make your money or lose money. So an example of one that I am not a, a big fan of that's it's a pretty popular stock with a lot of investors is IntelliCheck, IDN. I am not a shareholder. Um, got you on that one, Bobby. But it's one that I've, I've been following since around 2019. And they were a company that was, you know, small gap loss. And they slowly, they, they made their way to, you know, a small, you know, you know, small net income, but they, you know, they kind of, you know, their, their EPS was like one cent a share and they were trying to build on that. Right. And they wanted to just keep building and building and building and doing more and more implementations. And then somewhere along the line with COVID, they hit a snag. It, it's a business that does um, like identity verification. And a lot of times when you're signing up for credit cards, so COVID kind of hit a snag because all this brick and mortar retail just went away. So they start looking at other use cases. But the thing is, what, what I saw is a business that um, said they transitioned their commentary from we're looking to grow, you know, gap net income. And we're looking to build that into we're looking to grow our EBITDA, which means, OK, where are you going to, you know, going to blow out one of these lines here, you know, turn it into adjusted EBITDA and add in, you know, ridiculous stock based compensation or whatever. Right. Um, so that was one thing I didn't really like because I like profitable companies, not companies that just kind of you know change their metrics to make themselves profitable. And then the other thing, too, is they weren't fully penetrated into all of these you know, large banks that they were trying to get penetration into because those are who are issuing the credit cards. So they're, you know, 30% penetrated into these large banks. And then all they start doing is looking at all these other use cases. And that's all they're talking about is all these different use cases and all these different verticals and all these different ways to think about the company and all this, you know, all their solutions can be used for. And so they're, they're just totally, you know, changing how they're judging themselves and they're changing how they're defining their own value proposition at the same time. I mean, like their, their revenue is totally flat over all these quarters. Right. You know, it's, it's, so that's the thing is it's, it's kind of like, well, I mean, what's, what's even going on here in terms of your ability to execute a strategy. So that's something I try to follow really closely um, versus a company that, you know, actually follows through on what they say and will update their metrics. So that's, that's what I do once I take a position. So I did have a position in IntelliCheck. I do not anymore. Um, and a lot of that was because I felt like the management commentary was just kind of breaking down over time and they were changing the target to suit whatever was actually fitting the reality. That's a, that's a really interesting key point that I think everybody listening should really jot down if you have a pen handy is that if you're going to be in the micro cap game, it's really important to follow whether or not the CEO is executing on the story that they're telling their shareholders publicly. Right. Um, and there's no right or wrong way to do that as a CEO. Right. Like there, there's some that are very transparent that, you know, will say more than others. But at the end of the day, 
you know, the ones that tend to be more successful, at least I've seen in the public markets are the ones that, you know, they just put their money where their mouth is, whether it's, whether it's saying more or less, they just execute. Right. So, you know, just be wary of the ones that, you know, there's always, you know, they see another, uh, see another dangle or something, or they see where they see what the market narrative is at this point in time. They're like, oh yeah, we, we can get to that too. You know, whereas they still haven't gotten to the other thing that they were previously talking about. Right. Yeah. So moving forward from there, you know, in terms of, of other things that you're looking for and, and following up, I mean, is there anything that we're missing that in terms of your due diligence process, or is it all kind of on a case by case basis? So I do have for a core position, a standardized due diligence process that takes, I mean, if I'm going as fast as I possibly can, like a month um, where, you know, I'll, I'll, so first off, you know, always read the, the K in the most recent Q. And then from there, listen to a couple conference calls, kind of get a sense of what's going on here with management value proposition. And then I'll go through and I'll read every single SEC filing the company's ever had, which that's what takes most of the time is reading every single filing, but then also tracking with that, the commentary and who's left and who's joined, right? Because a lot of these micro caps, you know, sometimes they're just random like shell companies that sat around as like a Nevada mining company before, you know, a real business bought it, whatever. And I'll, I'll follow through on that. I'll look at all the financials. I'll read any type of analyst report. Of course, I'll, you know, search Twitter, right? you know, see if Geo or Microcap Club has any coverage or if it's just Twitter and, you know, Paul Torres Cohen just tweeting out the ticker, right? Um, I'm sure a couple of you can <laughs> relate to that. Um, so, I mean, that's that's what I'll really do. And then I'll, I'll try to talk to management kind of after I've done probably 80 to 90% of the work because I really want to come in with an informed perspective on the company and what's going on with it. And, I mean, the thing is, a lot of the time, businesses just kind of die along that path in terms of seeing it as a quality business to be a core position, because you'll find something that's just so bad or you'll just see, okay, I mean, this is, this is great, but it's, it's a product. It's not a business. And I'm not really interested in that, especially when I'm so concentrated, I'm looking for businesses. Have you ever, I mean, going back to the management calls, cause that's clearly like the, you know, once you've done every, all the other work, that's, that's where it's kind of like you're putting the, the check mark and like, okay, here we go. I mean, have you ever done a ton of work on a company where you're like, all right, this is looking like this has a lot of potential. I just need to talk to management and answer a few questions for me. Have you ever gotten to that point? You had that call with management and it's like, oh man, they, they really, they really punted that call, didn't they? Uh, I punted, maybe not, but yes, I, I think there, there've been some situations where, and I'm sure a lot of investors can relate to this. You look at a micro cap and you just wonder, is there enough meat on the bone here? in terms of, okay, this company, it's a nice company, but it probably should be a private company. It has, it does, you know, a million in sales a quarter, 2 million in sales a quarter. And it's, they're going to be lucky if they, you know, earn 40 K this year. And you hope to talk to management and hear, you know, this, this passionate person or this driven person and some future plans that they're like, you know, either going to, you know, disclose publicly and, you, you know, the management's always great about that, but you, you hope to hear something about, yeah, well, Hey, I mean, just keep an eye out for something or yeah, we just hired a new marketing director and they're going to change everything. Right. You know, you're hoping to hear that. And then you get off the call and you felt like you just had a conversation with, you know, your grandpa or something, you know? So it, there have been times where you get off the call and you just kind of realize, yeah, there's just not much here. Um, and 
to be totally frank, I'm still totally learning how to how to deal with that, where I have like a nice cordial relationship with this person, but absolutely no interest in their business. So if anyone has any tips, you can do to me. <laughs> I was going to say, like, there's there's quite a few investors that I've had on this pod for sure that I think could give you a lot of good guidance on that in terms of like, how do you separate between, you know, becoming friends with some of these, some, some management teams and being, all right, be objective. You know, because there a lot, a lot of a lot of CEOs are very engaging, charming people. You know, I mean, that's probably how they got to where they're at today. If, especially if they weren't the founders, you know, they had to get to there somehow. You know, so that's probably something that you've already experienced a little bit. Like, oh man, like they're just a cool, cool person. Like I would want to be friends with them or co- at, or colleagues at a very at the very least. You know, but I have to be able to separate that part out from you know being objective here. Yeah, I mean, 100%. And that's something I'm still learning how to deal with. Um, and I mean, it's, I'm sure you probably have a lot of experience. I mean, you've interviewed what, a thousand people? Yeah, no, it's, um, <laughs> I mean, look, I, I mean, I, I'd say, yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's pretty interesting because most of them, you know, they, they want good coverage, right? You know, they want good coverage from media. They want to be, uh, but, you know, there's, there's definitely times, especially, you know, as, as in, in media where like, you know, you want to continue to talk to some of these companies because even if it's not the best business on paper, it might be around for a while. <laughs> I mean, there's some companies that I've talked to that, you know, I don't think they've been profitable or shit, maybe even generated revenue for nine, 10 years, you know, and, but they, they still are public. They still have a story to tell. They're getting after it. And so, you know, you can't just completely poo-poo them, you know, and, uh, and, or say like, Hey, we don't want to talk to you because there might be folks out there that find that story interesting or find some kind of nugget there that, you know, maybe me, me and you wouldn't look at, but they, they are like, Hey, I actually know this sector. I know this industry way, really, really intimately, you know, like there's actually some value, there's some value uh, here. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's one of those things where like, you just, yeah, be Switzerland. Yeah. <laughs> no one so, so, I mean, you do a better job of it than me. That's why you're hosting and I'm just here once. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll be back. I'm sure. I, I, I know that. Well, you, at the very least, you're going to be on the round table at some point. But um, so now I want to get to my favorite question that I ask everybody on here. Um, you know, what, what would you say was an investing experience that impacted you the most in your career? Wow. Okay. That's a, I mean, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, so I would say an investing experience that has impacted me the most in my career. Um, it would be, Ooh, Bobby, you're killing me here, man. Um, so I, I'm going to talk about a mistake, which would be the joint chiropractic. Um, the ticker is J Y N T. I am not a shareholder. Um, which I guess, uh, you know, six months ago was a bad thing, but now that Edwin Dorsey is, you know, kind of, you know, attacking it and stuff might be a good thing. I'm not sure. Um, but that is one that I, I followed for a long time. I think my average cost in the joint was around seven bucks a share or something. And I really liked the business. I was a customer of it. Um, they, you know, they solved a lot of the pain points, you know, pun intended of chiropractic care where there were no appointments necessary. You could just walk in. It was kind of like a massage envy model. If you can go anywhere in the country with your membership, whatever. And they had weekend hours and, and nighttime hours. So you didn't have to have an appointment and there was no insurance. So it was just this whole new business to, 
to chiropractic. And that's something I really love about microcap is just the really innovative businesses um, that, I mean, if they can truly solve those problems they're trying to solve, I mean, they shoot right on up to be, you know, mid caps one day, which is awesome, especially for shareholders. So that's one that I, I accumulated. My average cost is around seven. And when the pandemic hit, I mean, I know a lot of people had, you know, a lot of choices with their portfolio. And my first thought was, I really don't want a business that is, you know, totally, you know, discretionary here that you're walking into and you're getting healthcare and you're having people touch on you, right? In terms of performing chiropractic adjustments. So I got out, I don't know, like 14 bucks a share or something. And within less than a year, it, it's like ripped to 90 or, you know, and I have no idea where it is today. Um, I know, Cause I know Edwin Dorsey has, you know, published some, some short stuff on it. Um, that I think is actually pretty interesting and valid and were concerns I was aware of like the payback time for franchises is getting worse um, with newer cohorts of franchises. But what I learned from that was, you know, sometimes if there's a large macro external threat that's affecting everyone, you might not need to panic with your immediate positions because to be totally frank, if I had waited like two months and realized, okay, life is generally the same if you have your mask on in terms of, you know, receiving chiropractic care, it's, I mean, it would have been fine. And I would have, you know, made a lot more than, you know, a hundred percent return on that. That's a, that's a good one right there. That's a, re- that's a really good, good learning lesson for everybody. Um, but uh, you said you had a neck, do you have a positive experience that changed your career in terms of looking at micro caps? Yes. I mean, 100%. I mean, so I was a shareholder of XPEL, XPEL, and I, I did catch, some of the the tailwinds of that, which was, I mean, every every win like this when you're trying to be a full time investor that you have a you know a big you know 500 plus percent win that just pulls that you know retirement date well not really retirement because you know being a full time investor is a lot of work but it pulls that date of leaving the traditional world a lot closer. Um, so that is that was the the story where I I really got my first experience in terms of going back a decade plus on the management team and understanding, okay, if they say we're looking at, you know, you know, three cents a share in EPS, if management's saying that they're really meaning 10 cents a share, right. Of kind of the, the under promise and over deliver of the network effects expanding. And that was also a business that I, I think a lot of people might struggle with because I, I know so many people have said this, but there's just a lot of cognitive dissonance when you first learn about these businesses. Cause you're like, what, it's like, paint protection for my car. It's like, like a car wrap. Like what, what is this? How is that a business? Right. But what they did is they took a product and they turned it into a business with their, you know, their network effects in terms of getting into all of these different areas and then training people and then their software. So that's a way that you can take a product and turn it into a business. And it's also a way that you can go back 10 years and look at management. And then the other thing too, I want to you know really shout out is it's changed really recently, I think actually, but for the longest time, their basic and diluted shares never changed. I mean, they never diluted. It was crazy. So that's something too, that was really valuable is learning the, you know, the value of management that's not going to dilute you, grant themselves stock options. And they had a, a ton of insider ownership too. Very good. All right. So before I let you go here to close this out, what advice would you have for, for folks listening in that maybe are only a couple of years into microcaps and, uh, you know, just some good advice for them to, to stay the course potentially? Well, I would say first thing is you're going to make mistakes. Uh, absorb all of the content you possibly can, like, you know, Bobby's podcast and stuff. Listen to everyone else's mistakes so you don't make them. So 
do that, you know, learn from my mistakes instead of your own. And then I would say it's, it's a lot of work and perseverance, but if you truly can add value to this space and you, you know, have interesting ideas and interesting content, you will be, you will be found and the right people will find you. And it takes a lot of persistence. I mean, like I've said, I'll be totally transparent. I was rejected for microcap club twice. I had to apply and it was the third time. And, you know, I spent years, especially as someone with a non-traditional background, just floating out there, but you just, I mean, be persistent and, you know, seriously, genuinely just believe in yourself because you will be there if you are good. And if you keep working at it, you will be good. Um, everyone in the space is super nice. You can always reach out to me or Bobby. I'm going to just plug you because, you know, you're Mr. Microcap, um, hardest working guy in Microcap. But it's awesome, man. And the thing is, is everyone's been great. And it's a really tight knit community because there's not a lot of people that understand the the work and the the volatility, especially <laughs> and the nuances of it with, you know, these really fascinating businesses that might trade a hundred shares a day. Man, that's a great way to end it. And so with that, Robert, where can everybody go and follow you on social media? And I don't think, do you have a, do you have a blog, but you, you contribute to geo investing. So, so right. Yes. Yeah, so I uh, am at Twitter at tiny stock ninja, and then I am a contributor at geo investing and a member of microcap club. So you can probably just DM me on Twitter. So, and also I want to say while we're on here, happy anniversary to my wife. Cause I know she's going to listen to this. So today's our four year anniversary. Hey. So I mean, oh, it's probably awesome. not dropping today, but I want to tell her, yeah. Happy anniversary. Well, very good. Well, Hey, so she, it's, we're recording this November 17th. So he got the date, right. Okay. Yes. He killed it. And that's, that's a beautiful thing, man. Actually, my birthday was yesterday. We're the, the oh, November's birthday, a good, Bobby. Thanks man. Yeah. Look, November's a, that's a, it's a fun time. So listen, Robert, it's been an absolute pleasure, man. I'm so stoked to meet you. Thank you for the shout outs. Thank you for sharing all your insights. And uh, look, I look forward to chatting again soon. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Bobby. All right. Have a good one. Now go celebrate. Oh, thank you. <laughs> See you, buddy. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Podcast.